Good morning. And thank you for this kind invitation. It's so glad, I'm so glad to be here. And for many of you, that means nothing because you didn't know I was invited. And so let me explain just a bit about who I am. My name is Terry Boyle, and I work for a, a, a ministry that teaches the Bible on the radio. That's been our bread and butter ministry for 40 years. It's called Insight for Living. The ministry was founded by a pastor in Texas called Chuck Swindoll. And I represent Chuck here in Europe and English-speaking parts of this region. And uh, I speak on his behalf, and uh, I keep in touch with him and make sure we're all still singing from the same page. And I help with the ministry internationally in several ways that we'll explain a bit more about tonight. But that's why I'm here. Um, uh, I preach in all sorts of churches, in all sorts of places, and I'm just delighted to be back. I know your little flyer says that I haven't been here before. But it, it's just I have. It was a long time ago. It was about 10 years ago we were trying to work out. But uh, let me just correct that. I don't want to correct it to be pedantic. I just want to tell you that I'm glad to be back as opposed to glad to be here for the first time. Um, an anniversary talk, 176 years. It's always tricky. You know, it's always going to be a one-off. It's not part of a series or anything. And People take different approaches. People take different ideas up when they do an anniversary. But almost always, there's a, there's a tip of the hat to history, and there's a nod to the future, perhaps, and all the while trying to speak into the here and now of daily life and faith. Some might choose to just wax nostalgic and spend most of the time talking about the good old days and they'll get melancholy about how great it was. After all, we're looking at 1843, right? That's just six years into young Victoria's new and optimistic reign. Wow. And then, of course, that same year there was, and I love this title, the great disruption of the Church of Scotland. The great disruption where hundreds of evangelical ministers marched out from St. Andrews down the street to make a new start, a new start free of patronage and state interference to establish what would become the Free Church of Scotland. And don't forget, don't forget this, 1843, the first iron ship, the Vanguard, was launched from Napier's Yard in Glasgow. The very first iron ship launched on the Clyde, the year this church was founded. That's a lot of history, isn't it? Well, that's waxing nostalgic about the past, but some might prefer to gaze over the horizon of the future and say, what have we got coming down the pike that we need to look out for? Or what have we got to anticipate? What do we need to watch for? The challenges that we'll face as this chaotic world spirals down into seeming disorder. The politics of it and the economics of it and all the other threats that we see just over the horizon. Well, whether longing for the good old days or fearful about what might be in the days to come, we're nevertheless still constrained, we're still stuck to live out our todays to the best of our ability in the here and now. And I have somebody to show you in the scriptures that might help us to do that. Put yourself, for example, in Joshua's sandals. Now, I noticed from the website that 
you had a message for, about Joshua from about three or four weeks ago, I think, beginning of the month. You were introduced to Joshua. I'm going to follow on from that. We'll be in Joshua chapter 5 for my talk. But think about Joshua and his opportunity to wax eloquent on the good old days. Imagine what Joshua's good old days were like. In his lifetime, he had seen the Red Sea parted. In his lifetime, he had seen the day the manna came and how it came day after day, keeping God's people alive in the wilderness. He had seen in his lifetime the day the water gushed from the rock when they were parched, dry, and thirsty. He had been trusted by Moses to spy out the land of Canaan as they prepared their first foray. And he came back with a good report, an optimistic report, a truthful report. But the other spies, not so much. And they missed a chance. In his lifetime, Joshua had battled in open warfare with the Amalekites at a place called Rephidim, while Moses and Hur and Aaron watched from the hilltop. And Moses, when he held his hands up, the battle would go to the Israelites, and when he got tired and he flagged, the battle would recede. And so Aaron and Hur took an arm each so that Moses could prop himself on a rock and that the battle would be sustained. That was Joshua down on the playing field. That was Joshua's lifetime as the Amalekites were routed. And of course, Joshua was there the day the brooding mountain trembled and lightning flashed and men's hearts trembled within them. He was there. They were his good old days. Imagine it. Days of glory, days of victory, days that make my good old days sound quite tame. You know, I'd hate to be having to sit around a campfire with Joshua swapping good old day stories. Because my good old day stories, in my experience, they, they come up a little short to Joshua's good old day stories. I might say around the campfire as we passed a marshmallow or something. Oh, I remember the time when we had a, a, a youth group fundraiser that paid for the whole group to go skiing at spring break. The whole group. Nobody had to spend any money to go skiing. In New Mexico, a whole youth group, a convoy of teenagers destined for snow. Joshua would say, wow, that reminds me of when all the Egyptians showered us with their gold and jewels to, to just make sure we left. Egypt. <clears throat> okay, okay, you've got me beat, Joshua. Well, I remember the time we used to take mission trips down to Mexico, and we'd ride in convoy all night just to go build churches and help the church along in, in the northern parts of Mexico, just over the border from Texas. Oh, yeah. Driving down at night, and Joshua would say, well, could you see the pillar of fire of God's glory leading you as you went? Because that's what we saw when we traveled at night. Oh, okay. After a while, I think you just stop and listen to his stories instead of trying to come up with your own. 
Joshua had a lot of good old days to think back on, on the day that we find him in chapter 5 of Joshua. But he must have had some apprehensions about the future too. All this would have been in his mind as we prepare to meet him in the scriptures. He had witnessed the golden calf episode, Israel's shameful day of idolatry. He knew how fickle and foolish his own people could be. That's something to worry about with the future coming. He'd witnessed Korah's rebellion, a challenge of the leadership of Moses and Aaron. When they took on Moses and Aaron, had a sort of a showdown in the desert. He'd seen that. And he'd watched the destruction that followed such arrogance. And as a spy, he had witnessed how well-fed and strong the Canaanites were. His colleagues on that spying expedition called them giants. Joshua, for his part, said, we can do this because God's on our side. The others said, no, 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 they're much too big, too strong, too powerful for us. We'd best go a different way. So he knew his own people and he knew the enemy. These are all things for Joshua to consider in the future. But he's in the here and now, the same as we are today. He had a big task at hand. If you'll come with me to Joshua chapter 5, so that's the sixth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then, plop, we land in Joshua. And chapter 5, towards the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 13, we have this most remarkable encounter And I want to look at it and see what it means for us living out our faith in the here and now today. The text finds Joshua near Jericho. That's the next big job on his agenda. Jericho. When Joshua was by Jericho, verse 13 of chapter 5 in Joshua, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. Let's leave it right there. Now, what's been on Joshua's mind up until this point? He's got a job to do. He's got Canaan to conquer. And the first obstacle he meets is this big, walled city called Jericho, full of Canaanites, strongly defended, and Joshua has only ever done open field warfare before. Battles like with the Amalekites at Rephidim. He's never seen a walled city, I don't think. I don't think he's ever thought about how to get in one. He's going to be baffled. What do you do against a walled city? We've got slings and Bows and arrows. Most of what we can do can't even reach the top of the wall. We don't have any siege engines. We don't have any battering rams. We don't have anything that we can use to bring down a city like that. And he's out there watching the city, wondering what to do. This was a new challenge. And he needed help. 
out of the blue, Joshua is confronted by a startling sight. Now let's see who this man is. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. He's got the advantage over Joshua. He's taken him by surprise. It's almost like an ambush. His sword is already drawn, and he comes out of nowhere. Now, Joshua, at the end of the previous book, at the end of Deuteronomy, and also again at the beginning of this book in Joshua, he's told by God to be strong and courageous. And he's taken that to heart, because where perhaps I might tentatively peek around a rock at this warrior with his sword drawn, Joshua walks right up to him. He takes God's command seriously. Joshua went up to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you with us or are you against us? Are you for our side or are you against our side? I love this. It's an easy question. Simple answer, you would think. By the time he gets there, I'm sure Joshua's sword is drawn too. He's probably up for a fight now if the answer's the wrong answer. He wasn't the kind to back down, and he was looking for an answer. And the answer makes me chuckle every time I read this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This warrior, this man who startled Joshua... And he's challenged with the friend or foe question. He says, no. Neither. Wait a minute. Are you for us or are you against us? Are you for the people of Israel or are you for the Canaanites? It's the answer he didn't expect. He didn't see it coming. No. No, I'm not. I'm not for you, and I'm not for them. I'm for God, he said. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. He's there sort of like a referee, you might think. He's there to adjudicate, sort of out of the combat, but no, that's not true. He's got an army with him. He's got the army of the Lord with him, and he has a sword, and he's ready to fight. He is the commander of the Lord's army, and no, he's not for the Israelites, and no, he's not for the Canaanites. He's for God. That's a reminder. There's three places in every skirmish. There's our side, there's their side, and there's God's side. There's our side, there's their side, and there's God's side. This commander, I'll talk about who he is in just a moment, but this commander, he has an army at his disposal. They're at his beck and call, and it's the army of God. And he says, now I have come. God is in this fight. The fight for Jericho, the fight for Canaan. God is in this fight, up close and personal. And when God is in the fight, it only goes one way. It only goes to victory for God and those who are with him. 
All too often, all too often, we choose our side and then we ask God to join our side. This will change every skirmish you get into. This will change every quarrel, every difference of opinion you ever encounter. This will change the way you do those things. You have to remember, are you for us or against us? Are you with me or are you against me? No, I'm with God. There are three sides in the argument. My side, their side, and God's side. And the only place where victory can be secure, the only place where victory can be found, is at God's side. You see what this means? It's not like kids in the playground calling up sides for, for whatever the game of the day is. For me, back when I was a little boy this big, it was war. We used to play war in the playground with, you know, pencil pistols and things like that. We'd play war and we'd go around the playground gathering in our own troops before we start the game. And you were either for our side or you were against our side. This changes all that. This will reframe every battle you take on. God isn't on your side. Now be careful how you read that. But God isn't on your side. You need to be on God's side. That's the difference. Think of it like this. I don't know if you've ever been to the international rugby. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I went to the international rugby uh, down in Wales. A long time ago now, Wales were playing England, and I went to... I thought I was going to support England, even though a lot of me is Welsh. But when I got there, I realized I didn't really want to support either because the Welsh were formidable. And I didn't want to be on the wrong side of them. You see, they, they sang hymns at you across the stadium. They sing all through the night and they sing Cum Ronda and they sing all these hymns at you. And it's like they're carrying the ark of God into battle before them. And they're trying to wear you down with this hymn singing. It's quite effective until you realize that it's just magical thinking. The Israelites tried that when they were at war with the Philistines. This was back in Eli's time. Eli the priest, the one who raised up Samuel the prophet. Eli the priest and his sons, they managed to let go of the Ark of the Covenant. They managed to let go of the Ark of God because the army needed it to lead them into battle. And they lost it. That's magical thinking. As long as we've got the box. I have a fly bothering me. As long as we've got the box, then we'll win. As long as we can co-opt God onto our side, as long as we can twist God's arm so that he comes to us and fights for us, as long as we coerce God into joining our side, then we'll win. You see the foolishness of that thinking. Because God isn't on your side. God is for God. And you need to join God's side in order to secure the victory. Now, in the Christian faith, the first step of doing that, the first thing that makes you a friend of God is to trust in the work of His Son, Jesus. This is God's love poured out to humanity. It's His offer of friendship. 
It's his offer to give you the chance to come to his side and share in the victories that he will secure. His son Jesus, sent to earth from heaven to die on the cross for our sins so that we might draw close to God. Not so that God might join our team. Do you see the difference? Smile and nod if you see the difference. Do you see the difference? We need to come close to God. Save us from magical thinking that he will be at our beck and call as long as we hold our tongue just right and make the right gestures. So you have to see that there are three sides in any skirmish, in any battle. There's your side, and you might have some points in your favor. There's the other side, and they think they have some points in their favor. But then there's God's side, and the only way to be sure that you're right is to be on God's side. To bring yourself in close to Him. You're joining His team. Not him coming over to your side. Now, I'm sure it doesn't happen in this church, but I visit lots of churches, and in some of them it happens. It might happen when you quarrel with your wife. Yeah. He's gone from preaching to meddling, they say. It might happen when you quarrel with your wife, and you have to consider, well, you know, am, am I right? Maybe so. Is she right? Maybe so, but what does God say? How do I draw close to God's side in this? And God would have you honor your spouse. God would have you honor the one that you've married and cherish and protect and respect her. Be gracious to her. Be kind to her. You don't have to win, but you do have to keep her and honor her, and love her, as long as you both shall live in sickness and in health. That's what God has called you to do, so when you're joining God's side, when you draw in close to Him, you might have to rethink your battle strategy a little bit. How about when you venture into politics, mentioning no names, but watch where my eyes rest. When you venture into politics, and there's always this thing, there's their side and there's our side, and whose side is going to win, and let's recruit God to our side and fly his banner. That's not the way to do it, not according to Joshua and what Joshua found out. The way to do it from what Joshua found out is to join God's side in worship. Did you see that's what he was called to do? Let me read on. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, says this divine warrior, and now I've come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? God's side, joining God's side, coming close into God's side, begins with worship. It begins with acknowledgement that God is sovereign. He is in charge. And even though our world may look a little dislocated every now and again, even though things might be disjointed and dismantled in places, 
God is still sovereign. God is still in control of what's going on. And the only way to secure your victory is to be at his side when the victory comes. It's to be with him in worship. There's an interesting thing that this divine warrior says. He says, take off your sandals from your feet. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That's where we'll leave his story today. But what does that tell you about this fearsome warrior that he was talking to? The one who was about to give him all the information about how to take this huge walled city called Jericho. The one that was going to feed him the battle plan. Give him the instructions for how to win the victory for God at God's side. Where have we heard that before? Take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. We've heard that in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses and the burning bush. And the Lord spoke to Moses from the bush. And the Lord spoke to Joshua through this warrior. And it's a long argument, but I could make it if I had time. I believe that this was Jesus Christ pre-incarnate the leader of the hosts and the champion of God's army. I believe this was him, God, in his son Jesus, as the warrior who informed Joshua, and Joshua knew exactly what to do. He fell on his face and worshipped. He fell on his face and worshipped, and that is the beginning. That is step one, irrefutably, for drawing to God's side and claiming the victory. Now this church has moved into a new season. This church has moved into a time where you're, again, looking for a pastor, looking for someone to to sort of lead the charge as you claim the victory in Airdrie. You're navigating a tricky passage in the 21st century, aren't you, as you lead a church? It's a difficult time. It's an awkward time for churches in many ways. Politics is complicated. The opposing voices are quite clamorous and quite loud, and they're determined to see us silenced. It's a tricky passage we have to navigate. But, like Joshua, we know our own people, and we know, I hope, how to guard against the foolish mistakes that we can make. The way to do that is to draw in close to God corporately. Let this whole church gather around the divine warrior Christ and let him lead you to victory. And Joshua knew how well-resourced and how robust and how determined his enemy were, and so do we today in the church. There's a lot of money being spent to try to make us go away. But we won't go away. We have Christ's promise. And the closer we draw to him, the more we know that even the gates of hell will not prevail against this, his church. But you have to be close to him to be confident of that victory. Joshua leaned in close. 
and saw the victory that God had promised. And if you carry on in chapter 6, you'll notice that the instructions for battle that Joshua were given were quite unorthodox. Certainly nothing that I would expect, nothing that Joshua would expect. It seemed like a peculiar way to take a walled city, to march around it, blowing trumpets and shouting. God's ways don't always have to make sense. All we have to do is obey them. God's ways don't always have to be crystal clear banner headlines that would fly in the press. God's commands are spiritual. In many ways, they are felt more than heard. In many ways, they are part of our wiring as Christians to follow his mandate to secure the victory by following his divine warrior son. It'll change the way you deal with opposition. It'll change the way you deal with those around you, the people at work, the people you encounter in the public sphere. It'll change how you think if you just remember victory lies not on my side or your side. Victory lies when we stay close to God and follow the instructions of his divine warrior son, Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please.